us, is this the lunch loop? If so, um, we wish to cancel. Um, we do not wish to belong to that or to pay this anymore. Thank you. Hey everybody, welcome to the Lundloop Podcast. This is the podcast where we throw off the shackles of technical analysis and talk about the intersection of markets, trading, and life. And this week, it's going to be all life, all the time. It's a special episode. I was asked by my friend Joe Fami to co-moderate an interview with his friend, Brent Fitz. Now, Brent is a drummer and multi-instrumentalist. He's currently the drummer in Slash's band, Slash from Guns N' Roses, but he's worked with a who's who of rock and roll royalty, including Alice Cooper, Vince Neil, Gene Simmons, Aerosmith, Ronnie Montrose, the list just goes on and on. And what's really interesting about this interview is it went into some different directions that I didn't think it would go. It's something that I think will be interesting, not just for drummers or musicians, but for anybody that's trying to improve their life. Brent has a really unique philosophy that has served him well, not only in terms of perfecting his craft, but also in terms of having a career in a very long and sustainable career in the music business. And I think a lot of the stuff he talks about translates to all different areas of life. In fact, his story about how he came to become the drummer in Slash's band is a lesson. It's just fantastic. You got to hear it. So sit back. Enjoy this interview, and next week we will be back at it with, uh, you know, market stuff and all that. So, all right, enjoy. Hey, Brian, are you there? I am here. Awesome, awesome. You can hear me. Uh, we had Brent and we lost him. Maybe we just lost the signal. We'll wait for him to hop on, make him a speaker, and we will get started. Yeah, and you'll uh, you'll have to uh, excuse me if you hear a little background noise, of course. Um, the... The gardener just started right as we hopped on, and uh, <laughs> I'm about to eat a jumbo bag of Funyuns. So, perfect. Sorry, sorry if that messes with the audio. That's no problem. What would a space be without Funyuns? Right. Someone was doing that on the space the other day, like two weeks ago. They were just eating a bag of chips without being <laughs> muted. I was like, just zero, zero self awareness. Brent, can hey, you hear us? I can. Awesome. Awesome. Brent, meet Brian. Brian's a good friend. Brian, meet Brent. Hi, Brian. Hey, Brent. Good to meet you. Brian is going to help. Uh, he's a, he's the third best drummer on the stage. I'm kidding. He's, he's the second best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's way better drummers in the audience than me. <laughs> Joe has uh, secret skills, though. He never fesses up. But, man, one day I'm at Guitar Center. I don't know randomly why Joe and I were there. And this guy sits down on the piano and just, like, cut it up playing some some pretty good piano, Joe Fami. I've heard yeah. rumors of Joe's uh, musical prowess over yep. the years, but I've yet to have him favor us with uh, anything. So I'm yep. looking forward to that day. Oh, yeah. He's got secret skills. Uh, I tweeted out that we are getting started. So welcome, everybody, and for hanging out with us. Uh, uh, Brent, it was a shitty day in the markets, so I'm sure a lot of people want to talk markets. But someone tweeted a really good point. They're like, we're sick of hearing the same thing. So let's talk about something else to get our minds off the markets. So I think that's a good idea. Um, 
we'll just make this a casual conversation. We'll throw out some questions. We'll talk about whatever, just your life, great stories. I know Brent's a, a good friend. Just for people who are listening, just to introduce Brent. Uh, first and foremost, uh, an amazing human being. Uh, someone already, uh, one of your fans already tweeted that out first, so that's great. Uh, <laughs> uh, an amazing human being, a great friend, uh, in ranked, rated by Rolling Stone, Modern Drummer is one of the top 10 touring rock drummers. Uh, currently has played with uh, legends such as Slash, Gene Simmons, Alice Cooper, the Guess Who, Aerosmith, Vince Neil, Adam Levine, the list is endless. Um, so without further ado, welcome, Brent. Thanks for joining us. Makes me tired thinking about that list. <laughs> <laughs> and that all happened last week. Holy <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's that? A combined 500 years with those people on that list. Everyone on that list is, is ancient, but, um, yeah. So thanks for joining us and Brian, please hop in anytime. If you got any questions, I wanted to start out cause someone mentioned, uh, you know, it's kind of a standard question, but I think it's something I'm curious to get your feedback on as far as any sort of young musicians, people trying to, you know, make it as far as in music, any sort of, you know, from doing this for uh, quite some time now, any sort of life advice you have, even if it's, you know, whether it's business, you know, networking, music, anything you have for young musicians out there. Yeah, well, because I'm an old musician and that's defined by the industry. I mean, if I was I'm not 20 years old, I'm. 50 years old, 52 actually. And um, what I have learned is for me at my stage of my career, after being lucky enough to, to be doing this since basically I started in my teens, right? And I actually got busy making it a profession, meaning I actually got, you know, to work with some other professional musicians and, and, um, and get to, I guess if you want to call it, qualify it as a, a job, so to speak, you know, work in, nightclubs and, and different avenues where I, I uh, you know, got my road legs and got all my experience playing with other people and at some point sometimes getting paid. But um, the one thing I've, I've noticed at that when I look at and, and get inspired by me getting inspired by other younger musicians is they seem to be quite technology savvy. And that's really a lot to do with the, you know, the, the way the, the industry for my industry, music, and entertainment has gone is the technology is ruling and pushing things forward. Now, at the end of the day, if you're a musician and you have a band, which is specifically what most of my life has always been is playing in, in a, a group thing with other musicians. I mean, songs are the currency and the power of everything. And, um, but having the great songs, having the great musicians and people you work with and the experience, but the young kids have that edge with the technology and I think all they need now, the encouragement is to network, 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 roll a deck and know everybody you can and be good at the technology. But you're going to need some favors and everybody needs to have, you know, that strength in musical ability and some people skills. Um, obviously, being here, you, you know, Joe and I have been friends for a long time and I think we enjoy actually as being people who are social and, and speak well and and that's a lot of it too is being able to get out there and and um not be afraid to be public and and uh, well I, I like hanging out with non-stock market people and you like hanging out with non-musicians so it it's works true <laughs> that that makes me a better musician you know what that's one of the best things i've learned is i can't just hang out with the same 
five people that I've always, you know, played music with. I play with one of the best things I've done for the past 30 plus years or more uh, is play with others, like lot, lots of diverse musicians, different personalities, high maintenance, egos, super, super talents, savants. And that has given me that that sort of broad spectrum of how to work and survive because it's, it is a people business and I love people. So I love, you know, and I love entertaining, man, it's been tough figuring out, you know, just talk about business and market and, you know, some of that stuff can function where you don't have to be, you don't have to leave your house. Well, my job for the most part has to entail an audience and, and playing in yeah. front of people. So it's been a real tough couple of years reassessing everything, but, but for all young musicians who, you know, want to be a, mus- uh, you know, a musician or an entertainer, um, I'm always encouraging because I get inspired by all the, the new young musicians that, that get into it. But for me, it's just it's, everyone's got to have that, you know, like, you know what? We're rolling the dice. We're always throwing something into the see what happens. And um, the funny thing is I, I could say the most uh, generic statement, but the support of family and friends is actually very important. And I've yeah. had, you know, and Joe, I think you and I could talk about that. You know, our parents don't uh, live our lives for us, but have been encouraging and support in some way yeah. what we do. I mean, how do your parents say, oh, you want to be a musician? My parents are not musicians first, you know, just to stay They're They're musical and they never were in the music business. But when, when you're a, you know, a 15 year old kid and you go, Hey mom and dad, I'm going to, you know, become a professional musician or, you know, go play some clubs. It's not that easy for your, your family to just say, Oh, that's okay. What, what, what does that mean? How are you going to pay your bills? Right, How are right. you gonna... Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, yeah. to make it a financial thing is important too, for young kids, they got to know how to turn it into, uh, monetization. And thankfully the technology has figured out some ways to really monetize things. Of course, we can talk about the YouTubes and all the, the streaming, you know, avenues where music is, it's not so much about brick and mortar stores and going to the, you know, like we used to go back in the day to the HMV store or whatever and, and tower records and go buy, buy music. Now it's all online. But so I got to get hip to that too. And, and y- a lot of younger kids already know how to get their music online and, 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 you know, embrace technology and, and, uh, so I've what you're saying mind. is what you're saying is we all should have been DJs is basically what you're saying. <laughs> I love the idea. You know what? I challenge myself because I've been this musician that plays actual instruments and I've always thought, well, would I be a good DJ? It's a great, it's a great concept. I'm like, I know all these people who do the DJ business, but what if I wanted to be a DJ? You DJ, you DJ my birthday party once you killed it. You got, well, there you, you go. You did that Who's once. Who's to say I'm all, not the greatest DJ ever? I just never. You tried did it, it all from your phone. You did it all from <laughs> your phone. It was pretty amazing. Uh, but no, I love what you, the point you're making about technology and embracing the technology because that is it's amazing uh, how a lot of young musicians and DJs and all sorts of you know YouTube stars have done it from embracing technology, marketing, and all that. Yeah. Uh, Brian, go ahead if you want to chime in, yeah. please. Yeah, so uh, Brent, I want to ask you a question about the trajectory of your professional career, and, and hopefully this will be informative to any young musicians that are listening. So I, I saw an interview you did, and you talked about how you'd been touring professionally in Canada for a number of years, but you said that you felt you there was a need to get out of your comfort zone, and that precipitated a move to Los Angeles. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about 
specifically what was going on in your career that motivated that move and what did that look like when you began to get out of your comfort zone? I think you said in the interview that you got your ass kicked. And uh, I, I just am curious what that move did for the trajectory of your career and maybe for yourself as a musician. Everything leading up to that was getting all the, the bad notes out of my system and all the bad experiences on smaller stages, in smaller audiences, in in my backyard, in my, my neighborhood where I grew up. And I always had this vision of bigger picture. I didn't know at first when, you know, when you're young, you have, we all have aspirations to, you know, be, you know, something larger than life or, or whatever that dream that, you know, some sort of thing you want to do. I, I, me personally, I thought of myself as, you know, Winnipeg. So that's the city I grew up in, you know, smaller city in the middle of Canada. A lot of great musicians from there, a lot of inspiring people I was around. And I was always a younger guy in the band. Now I'm the old guy. But in those days, I would be a teenager and I would play with guys in my early 20s. And then when I was in my early 20s, I was playing with really experienced guys who had been there, done that in their you know, 30s and 40s. And all those people were pretty much my... my um, they were like the, you know, the, the devil's advocates on my shoulder. And a lot of people were giving me that, you know, like... You're, you've got grandiose ideas, my friend, but you're never gonna, you know, I, I, had a, I had discouraging, probably bitter people around me that couldn't fathom, why would you want to move? And then I had other people that were the most encouraging. And so I kind of took a little bit of the both. And I thought, well, I got to prove to these people that, that doubted me that I should get out of my comfort zone and get my ass kicked. And then the people that supported me were the ones that were like, no, you're the, you're the, probably the one guy that's actually got the balls to do it. And the worst thing I thought to myself was, well, I come home with my tail between my legs. You know, my parents, my bandmates and other people, the naysayers were all sort of just saying, well, I guess, you, you know, if you're going to go for it, go for it. And move to the big bad city, move to where all the better musicians are, the more opportunities and yes i got my my ass handed to me and that was the best thing was because if i just stayed in the smaller environment and the little shell and the comfort zone that's okay too that's okay i could be you know playing regularly back in my hometown and i still go back all the time i go back to my little city in canada and i've lived now in the united states and i'm an american citizen and i've been down here for so long longer than i lived in canada but when i go home i literally get some form of a recharged battery from going back because the people there are still really grounded and really excellent and supportive people in a lot of ways. But a lot of them I know couldn't understand like, wow, you, you actually left Winnipeg. You went down to, to LA, like could have went to New York, could have went to London, England. I chose LA. It was a good time to go. And that basically if a young person asked me today, what, what do I need to do? I I'm very black and white with my, how I, I offer the advice but the answer is like you have to leave you kind of have to go to that and chase that that danger of the what you know what would the big bad city do for me and so I, I really encourage it I, I kind of subscribe to I always say plan a first plan b do doesn't exist and that's very dangerous you know my parents wouldn't want me to to uh when I was younger what do you mean what you Plan B. What is plan B? I don't know. Go to university. Go back to school. I mean, I got offered a, um, a scholarship 
at one of the revered music schools in Canada, Humber College in Toronto. And they would headhunt in high school for kids that were probably, you know, very talented musically and had a good headspace and wanted to go to university at these, these I'll call them jazz colleges. To me, I equated it to if I was going to go to a, a school, music school, maybe specifically for jazz or something, I probably would end up as a music teacher. And I thought, well, I could do that, but I'm going to go to L.A., and I'm going to go be amongst all the best musicians I can find and put myself into that, that spin. And just, the, it really was a life changer. Sorry for the really, really long ex- explanation about that. But if I hadn't left, there would be no, there would be no story. And, and, and that's, a, that's a great story. But what does the, the ass kicking look like? I mean, how did that manifest itself uh, in the challenges, I guess, that you, you faced once you got to L.A.? Well, and, and as well as even after moving to L.A. and then getting the chance to play with all these different musicians, different race, culture, foods, and, and go around the world and play in different you know, cities and everything. Everything I've done as a musician puts me into this like more well-rounded spectrum of a better right. musician. So when I got my ass handed to me, I was sheltered. I really was sheltered in a smaller Canadian environment. Everything was great. There was nothing, it wasn't that bad. So when I got to LA and it was traffic and, you know, it just, nothing was easy. Nothing was easy to go, just to go to a concert was difficult to go to see another band. You know, um, it, everything had a higher level of, of, uh, you know, it just challenged me in a lot of ways. And I figured, oh, I just grew up really fast. I moved there uh, at 26 years old. I had a lot of experience, you know, traveling a lot before that i was always on tour since i was 16 but you know regionally and then you move to la and then you got to figure out how to survive and that's like financially survive in a different country and you know immigration figuring out immigration and having you know like other musicians and labels and managers and people and different different mentality and i'm uh, you know i'm canadian so again it, the word is i'm a foreigner <laughs> you know i'm not like the most you know, I'm, I'm coming from another country. So it's that minority mentality of survival skills. So, um, yeah. You, you, you remind me of the, um, the welcome to the jungle story where the lyrics came from when Axel, like 18 year old skinny white kid from Indiana gets off the bus in downtown LA. I don't know. Do you know the story or is this true story? And, and this big black guy comes right up to him and says, do you know where you are? You were in the jungle, baby. You're going to die. And he was scared shitless. And that's where Word. the lyrics from. Is that a true Word. story? I think For I sure. heard that. And that story repeats itself over and over and over when someone comes to go to the big city to, you know, live their dreams. And yeah, I mean, I moved not even knowing, do I need a car? Oh, yeah. I need a car to get in and, in and around LA. You can't just like oh in, in LA, yeah. There's there, yeah. there's no there's no walking. I didn't have drums. There's no, there's you know, no I transportation. Sold, I sold up all my gear because I had to start over and I had to figure out. Well, and then you kind of have to like come as a visitor. And I, I came over with no gear. Then I got to like basically ground zero suitcase right off the you know I came off the plane in a with a suitcase and I went to so here's one little mention about the story is there was a really incredible environment that really inspired me when i got there and it's actually a trade show a music trade show called nam national association of music merchants it's been going on for you know many 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 years many years before i even got there and it's just a culmination of the all the industry uh you know 
products and, and companies, Gibson, uh, you know, like Gibson guitars, uh, Yamaha musical instruments, and, and then everybody at a convention with thousands and thousands of people around the world. So I get off the plane with a couple. I actually traveled to L.A. my first time. I'd not been there before with a couple friends from my hometown who were in the industry as well, some sound techs and stuff. And, and they said, Brent, you, like, you really should you know, do this trip with us and come to LA. Well, I don't even know if I, you know, I knew I wanted to move. I just didn't know that that environment when I got to go at this trade show kind of changed my life because I just saw in within minutes of going to the trade show, 10 of the most inspiring musicians that I had posters on my wall, you know, from different bands. And it was like, holy, like this just in five minutes was already the inspiration I needed to be around again, more talented people and, and more successful people and people that I could, you know, pool, you know, information from, I, you know, I, it's funny. I'm, I'm walking by my kitchen table here. I have a stack of business cards here. I've been getting business cards my entire life and it's all about relationships and people. And I just, I got off that plane and networked my butt off because nobody knows who some guy from Canada is, you know, <laughs> it's like, what yeah, you, you, you know, you that Nothing. that leads that reminds me of two things that the expression proximity is power. So if you want to mm -hmm. grow your business, like, let's say you want to be an actor, you can live in Idaho. But what good does that do? You have to move to L.A. and be around there. So you get the opportunities and you network and someone says, hey, you want to go to this audition or friends like you want to do this. You have to be around that. You know, you want to be on Wall Street. I mean, I know a lot of stuff is done remotely now, but, you know, you have to be in New York or at least San Fran, one of the major you know, financial cities helps until you build your career up. Um, but the other thing which I wanted to transition into is, you know, Brian, like, I don't know if you know this about Brent, but he's literally like, you know, that movie Six Degrees of Separation. He's literally two degrees of separation from almost anybody in music. Uh, I'm talking like not just rock, like, oh, I, you know, Katy Perry's manager or Neil Diamond's this or this sound guy for like every group of music. And I think that's a power and a compliment to your ability to network because, you know, there's a lot of the followers that are, you know, financial people. And, and I think it's a huge life lesson to talk about the power of networking and how, how, how much that's helped you in your career. So, so well, you're saying he's the Joe Fami of the music world is what you're saying. <laughs> which is true. Uh, like which is why degrees. our dinners together are dangerous. I can imagine. <laughs> no, but you know, here, put this into perspective, anyone that's listening. So, if I'm currently in a in a band with Slash from Guns N' Roses, some people know him, some people don't. Many do. Okay, we'll put him in the legend category. Very successful on a global level. Album sales, you know, visibility. I mean, literally top of his, you know, greatest guitar players. He makes all the lists, okay? It's a pleasure to play music with him. He chooses to play music with me and I choo choose to be in a band with him. But I'm... Think about it. I'm from Winnipeg, Canada, small city, a foreign country. And and Flash is well, he was originally from England. He was born over there, but he grew up in Los Angeles in the Mecca of music and, and got to be, you know, at a great time uh, around a lot of opportunity. And and I say to myself, well, it's funny how those dots intersect years later. And, and Slash probably can play with anybody he wants to. On the planet, you know, I mean, think about the, the his his Rolodex, you know, who's texting him, Steven Tyler, uh, Mick Jagger. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, what I'm saying like his circle yeah. of friends is pretty massive 
of on the highest level. He's and the then, A of A-listers, yeah. And then the relationship that he chooses with, you know, me as someone, who, you know, who generally speaking is, you know, I'm not Meg, Mick Jagger, but, you, you know, I, I'm saying perspective-wise, if you put how how we ended up, my path that traveled me from all those miles and years and years to end up in a band with guys like Slash is is if, if you just look at it on an interesting level, like how is that possible? Well, you know, all those things I did to get myself out of the, out of the small city and just connect dots. And I mean, Slash doesn't call me one day and go, you know, randomly to offer me to be in a band like that. There's so much more to it. And, and, you know, he asks somebody else that recommends me. That's always the classic scenario too, is, I mean, guys who are, when you're talking about your, your line of work and, and getting referrals and everything in, in my business, there isn't the resume that's the same as the average, most of the, the working world where you qualify something where, you know, where, where do you show your credentials? Well, a lot of music and entertainment is based on who, you know, and stuff is, is sometimes fictionalized and, and embellished just to get ahead. And, and I try to keep it, pretty real and you know no you don't have to sugarcoat it's like either you've played with these people or not so let's just say uh, you know someone like Flash or anyone looking for a musician they usually come from the referral business which is you get a recommendation from someone else you respect so you know i had already played with alice cooper and many many more people before that and that recommendation comes from hey someone from slash or someone in his his you know, management team or something calls around looking for some recommendations. And I don't know that one day I'm going to get a phone call from Slash or somebody else. It just kind of becomes that's after years of years of touring and, and working with so many different people. You hope that your phone rings and you hope that people are going to call you and, and recommend you for things. But it's a real strange way to do business. But I didn't have that in Winnipeg. I had nothing. Well, who'd you play with? Well, I played with this Canadian band, you know, and they're like, never heard of it you know you in in la you got to get some sort of these this rolodex behind you of of credible things and it takes a long time you don't just you know again i came bright-eyed and ambitious but i had to i had to do a million opportunity things that basically became my virtual resume so that one day you can get these other phone calls from these these notables and and (laughs) It, it kind of fascinates me when I think like, had I stayed in Winnipeg, you just don't, those things don't happen. You, I had to move to LA. Uh, you, you make a great point about the power of networking, but of course you also have to be good. So I, I wanted to ask you a question about, about developing your craft as a musician. Uh, I read in your bio that you started off uh, playing piano first. And then uh, after a few years, you picked up the drums mm. and I know you play multiple instruments. Um, given that the drums uh, like piano are both percussive instruments. They both require a lot of hand independence. I'm curious if your approach to the drums, either musically, rhythmically, or even stylistically, was informed at all by the fact that you started out on piano. And how important do you think it is for someone to be a well-rounded musician and play multiple instruments? Yeah, and another question for young musicians asking me, if you're, say, a drummer or just a guitar player, I always suggest the power of piano which is the instrument that connects all the other instruments and it's a vocabulary that you can learn on piano that kind of covers you for 
almost the entire industry, learn some piano. It's, it's the most powerful instrument because it does have all the, it's a percussion instrument, but it has all the melody, uh, you know, ideals that you need for, to have the language of music. So when I talk to other musicians and I, and I studied piano since I was five years old, I didn't want to, my parents were thankfully, you know, got me into, I mean, Joe, you took piano lessons too. And, and, um, it, it, I'm so thankful now to have that in my, you know, in my back pocket all the time, because when I moved to LA and I didn't have any names to drop and any sort of, you know, like, that's what people are looking for first. Who did you play with? Not what did you play? Who did you play with? I can't tell somebody, hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a multi-instrumentalist. I play piano and everything. They're like, cool, but, but who did you play with? Well, I knew that I could back up the talent side because I thankfully had a lot of this um, you know, knowledge of other instruments. And it didn't always have to come to the forefront because if I'm a drummer in a band and that's the gig, well, just because I play piano, it's, it, I've found, though, that the musical vo- vocabulary is better when you have a diversity in, in all different instruments. So that's just what I know. So I tell people, I think the, the more language you have, you know, it's just like in business. I mean, if we all knew how to speak, you know, five languages, the power of that in business is, is a pretty cool thing. Um, one person that I've worked with over the years that does speak many languages, and I noticed how good he was at communicating around the world, is Gene Simmons. He speaks multiple languages. It's very powerful, and he's a very powerful business guy, too. And I, so I, I have always thought, well, the power for me as a musician is, is that language of, of, of knowing piano and knowing all the things it entails, writing songs and understanding. I mean, I'm always the musical director in my band by default because i'm the guy that has all the the back knowledge of of all the instruments per se you know and and i've you know joe knows i've jumped on gigs not on purpose where i've had to switch instruments day of show or replace somebody i mean all i did during covid was i was flying out filling in on shows ironically some shows i had done before or never before and a band calls me and they go hey we need you to play keyboards i've never done the keyboard gig before never even played some of the songs well we just know that you're you're going to just crush it so fly me out and day of show and i'm going to do a whole set of songs and i have to think to myself well i earned that phone call to go do those those things because after years and years of you know getting known in the industry but i also have that that little bit of comfort of and, and a powerful back knowledge of of music and and i'm so glad i studied musicianship which is not just like piano itself but rudiments i i ended up i in my 20s going back to school i started studying um you know string quartets like these are not things that a, a guy in a rock band playing with slash necessarily has to use all the time but it's all been it's all come out at some point as a very very valuable um currency currency tool in music yeah that leads me to a, a great point because i've been i've had the pleasure of of watching and observing in studio in LA with you guys. And I'm fascinated by how the heck do you put a song together? You know, cause when I've, I've played drums and music and it's just covers and you can keep a beat. Once you learn how basic stuff and drums, you can keep a beat to, uh, yeah. to music. But I'm fascinated because one time you played in New York and I asked you where's Slash and you said he's in his room practicing his guitar. And I'm like, what the hell is he practicing for? Well, number one, he can't exactly go out in public too many places. And number two is 
how many people play guitar and how many slashes are there. So that just goes another lesson is he's always working at it. But you told me he's just working on all these riffs. And then when you get into studio, to your point you just made about being the musical director, you're organizing it like he has said in interviews, like, I, I, I couldn't do this without Brent, who's putting, you know, for people who don't know, you guys have put four albums together and toured the world four times. So can you talk a little bit about that's just a mystery to me of putting a melody to a chorus, to chords, to a rhythm, to a solo? Like, how do you pe- how does that even start? How does it even begin? Well, and to clarify, so it being in Slash's band, he's very much in control. He's very confident and is very comfortable being and, and the expectation of already have written a lot of great songs previously. And that, and that what I really enjoy about working with someone like Slash is his work ethic to continually make better songs. You know, uh, if anyone doesn't already know the song Sweet Child of Mine that was written, you know, in the mid 80s and is still a hit and played all day long on the radio. And of course, you know, that song has has proven to be one of the greatest songs of all time. Well, in in 2022 here we are now uh, and and slash has i have made four albums with slash of all brand new music of all new great songs and those songs basically start from a template of an idea that in 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 a simple way it just is usually a a riff we call it the guitar riff that maybe is sparked by slash because he's such a, a, a strong you know, you he's his sound is very distinct right away. When you hear Slash play a riff, it's very cool to hear something that's new coming from him. And it's you go, you know, wow, it's so Slash, but it's it's new and it doesn't have a home yet next to a melody. So a melody coming from a singer or someone else that he's going to to b- bounce those ideas off of that's that's pretty magical too. So there's a lot of riffs that come from a guy like Slash because he's always prolific in. And, and coming up with new ideas. That's the trick too, is to, he's never not trying out different new things. And, and uh, so it goes next to a melody, which Miles Kennedy in the, in the band that I play with Slash is always good for a quick idea and, and a scat melody that might come along. And we, we often are in sound checks on tour and a song will just be at, at sound check, just an idea that Slash comes up with. I mean, it's it's very honest and it's very it, it's never forced. It's never like by committee where we go off tour and we all sit in a room and go, OK, let's wh- where's the hit? You know, because a lot of that does. And for people who don't know, like some environments like in Nashville and different songwriter circles, they they get together and they like a job, get into a room with a bunch of successful and other people that write songs all day long. And these ideas go back and forth. And then you get these these songs that get put together, you know, that way as well. The band that I play with, with most of my, my other peers in, in the rock world, we, we just tend to do the old school way, which is just get into a, into a room or a sound check and just riff out ideas. Don't think about it too much. And then a little bit of a melody and that riff. And then I jump in with a drum idea. And what's cool is I, I don't necessarily have to be, you know, Slash is maybe hearing something like tempo wise or feel but it's a little bit more open to interpretation by everybody that's around us so slash already has a really great riff and a whole structure of some ideas and then he's looking for okay what are you what are you hearing for a rhythm 
and then there's a melody there and so even though it it could like i can't tell you how hit songs happen because when when you write something that's cool almost all the time you're you'll second guess it and a lot of songs that that have been put together that i've been experienced uh where you thought well that that probably won't go anywhere surprisingly those are the songs that an audience listens to and goes well that's my favorite song yeah and that the, cr- song the, the crowd's the too the crowd's too young to know a b-side reference i know i know brian would but <laughs> really quick you actually reminded me of something like sort of a lesson in writing when brian you could probably attest to this too is uh, a good friend of ours phil perlman he used to tell us just write just write blog posts just write you yep. never know what's going to strike you and I will say from experience, sometimes I've written a post that I think is awesome and it sucked and it's crickets. And sometimes I've written something that I think will suck and I've got amazing feedback. And the analogy is for hopefully some of the younger people might know this is what, what happened? Like they used to put a 45 out, right? With an A side with the small yeah. records, yeah. but then you had to put, they're like, just throw something on the other side, which was called the B side, and correct me if I'm wrong, because yep. they needed to have content on there. And to your point, the B side sometimes was a bigger hit than the main hit that they wrote for the for the main track. It's happened over and over and again. Yeah, you can't really put your finger on the magic of, you know, you think this is a hit song, a bunch of people, you know, first the band writes it and goes, well, it feels good. We like the song hopefully someone else will like it and if not well we like it and then you record it and then it gets put into a uh you know a little bit of an industry spin which you know record labels get involved or not or you do it independently and you just put it out on the internet and it's amazing how things that go viral viral is a very important word right now because if you don't write the song and you don't put it up for you know consumption you'll never know if it's good anyway that if anyone else likes it if you just want to write your songs and stay in your in your little, you know, environment and never, never play them. Well, you'll never know. So yeah, just writing stuff over and over and over is, is that's the ticket, write write a bunch of shitty songs. And then one might be a good one, (laughs) but you got to write a bunch of songs. Because I have uh, the internet right in front of me. Uh, Some famous B sides that went on to become huge hits. Uh, Queens. We will rock you was a B side revolution by the beatles and yep. you can't always get what you want by the stones so wow. all of those all staples in those in those catalogs of those great bands for sure so brent let me ask you a question let me go back a little bit can you can you tell us or tell the audience the story of how you ended up playing with slash yeah well um i was in la but i had actually moved to las vegas in um, so I had lived in LA for 10 years and I had lived in Vegas for a while and I was doing a lot of LA stuff, but I was commuting. And, um, I, just to, to preface, you know, why did I move to Vegas? Well, I actually had lived in LA a long time. I had felt I, I had really gained a lot of, uh, relationships and, and had, had worked with a lot of great musicians and, and Vegas spoke to me and I'd met some people out there and, um, well, I met my wife, which is the, the best thing about it. But um, I used to come back to L.A. and do lots of, you know, recording and performing. So I was actually just in L.A. for a couple of days. I was working with another artist, and it was actually Bruce Kulick from the band Kiss. And we had done a, sh- uh, well, I'm thinking, what were we doing? Oh, we were filming an episode of Gene Simmons' TV show for Family, Family Jewels. Um, 
and it was being taped at one of the um one of the like a club in 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 hollywood so i was there doing that and ironically i was going to go out to Camarillo, which is where my my drum company named uh, DW Drums uh, is based. And I was just going to go visit those people. Again, I'm always networking. So I'm like, I'm in LA for a day. I'm going to go visit the company that the drums I use and go say hi to those people. And I was going to go pick up a drum or something. And on the drive out, a friend of mine calls and goes, hey, how was that gig last night? And I go, oh, it was great. You know, we played uh, to a bunch of people and blah, blah, blah. He goes, cool. Hey, by the way, I was just on the other line with Slatch. Uh, He's looking for a drummer. He's got a new record coming out and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was just such a random call. And I said, well, cool. I'm actually out on my way out to, uh, to Camarillo and back. And he goes, well, listen, um, but uh, he's, uh, he's going to be at the Staples Center today with the Black Eyed Peas. And uh, so maybe I'll, I'll tell him and I'll, get, I'll um, have him give you a call later. Like it was just so random that I was in LA and this person called me about this other gig and then just happened to be talking to Slash and then just threw my name into the equation. It kind of was that. And, and uh, so someone recommended me randomly. And, and then I guess Slash says, oh, okay, cool. Um, and then he called. Apparently that day, this is Slash, what he told me is he maybe had rec- mentioned to people that he was thinking about, okay, I got to put a band together. I want to find a drummer. And he said of four people that he asked, my name came up with all four people. This, you know, my name, the same person came up with all four people. So I will say that however that worked, guys, that was the power of, you know, whatever I had done previously to get on people's short lists when someone recommends you. That's that's that that, you know, Rolodex referral thing. So I didn't know I was looking for a drummer when he asked four people said, you got to call that guy. So I'm very thankful to have been on people's you know radar to say oh you got to call brent and it was it because of my multi-instrumentalist abilities or you know you just never know how and why you get the call but you got to get the call so and then you know you talk like like you know random hey brent it's slash <laughs> and it's like oh hi how's it going um hey uh well you got rec- you everybody had recommended you i'm looking for a drummer and well we should get together and then it's like okay well let's let's get together and i think slash was doing something in vegas and we had a little random hang and then i ended up going to la and jamming with him meaning you know go get a go to a rehearsal place and and play together and see if it fits and then you know he kind of like you you should have punked him at that time you should have been like and who have you played with what have you done But turn it on him. <laughs> it, it's it is. I got to tell you guys. Look, it never is not special when you work with people who are obviously a household name, very successful, and then you get to get around them. And when you hear say that person that you, I mean, of course I know everything about Slash because I'm in the music industry and I'm a fan and I know his body of work and I know all, all these other things about him. So when you actually are in the room playing with that person. It's it's a very electric feeling to go, okay, well, I'm I'm being put into this environment and then it's up to you to give that back to to him, you know, where he's feeling good about it, too. (laughs) So it's um, I've been I've been doing this my whole life is is getting, you know, lucky and fortunate enough to play with a lot of different and great, great uh, musicians. I mean, you brought up, uh, Joe, uh, Adam Levine. I just want to quickly say about this adam levine from maroon five well i i met adam in a rehearsal because we played on ellen together with slash 
and uh, and and uh, on the record, the first record that Slash put out that I toured with was a bunch of guest singers, all greats, you know, from Fergie, Ozzy, uh, Chris Cornell from Soundgarden, Kid Rock. It was just a really great, you know, a bunch of great singers, and Miles Kennedy, who eventually became the singer in our now band that I've had with Slash for 10 years. But, um, and Adam Levine was on one of the songs. So we got invited to play on, uh, on Ellen, but I came in to a rehearsal thing and had never met Adam before. And we just all got together, rehearsed the song. And then the next day we're on national television playing to, you know, 30 million people. So, but pretty cool to just, you know, bump into, to Adam and, and just get, Hey man, nice to meet you. All of a sudden you're playing music together and then boom, you go do a TV show together. And then, you know, I, I bump into him once in a while, wherever it might be in LA or something, but uh, I've had many of those random, you know, cool opportunities to work with all kinds of different people. Sometimes in the studio, play on a track for somebody, sometimes play on a TV show. You know, it just sort of depends on, on the, uh, on the gig. You know, the, the list of people you played with is, is amazing. One that jumped out to me uh, as an old rock and roll fan is uh, Derek St. Holmes. And for those who may not know on the, uh, on the call, Derek St. Holmes was the original lead singer and rhythm guitarist for Ted Nugent way back in the day. So I'm yeah. just curious, uh, you know, I think he's probably one of the most underrated lead singers ever. And I'm just curious uh, how, how that came about and what was it like working with Derek? Well, you're absolutely right. And to this day, and Derek's probably ooh, uh, trying to think of how old he is, but uh, he blows my mind as one of those singers who still sounds as good as he did uh, on that 1975 first Ted Nugent record. When you hear Stranglehold and his voice, it's like, oh, my God. Uh, Derek is, again, a dot that connects from something before. And and I, I must say, guys, when I've I've always thought about if I had to write a book and explain to people, well, how what's the what's the the format? OK, or the formula. It's interesting that I've I've said something I did 20 years ago might not that day matter. But an introduction or some good thing that happened might pay off usually. And it's like 20 years later when you're not expecting it. So, again getting a random call from Slash or getting a random call from Derek and these people usually has something to do with some other thing that happened. So I toured with Aerosmith in 2014 with Slash. We went around America, bands together, and I got to know, obviously, the Aerosmith guys because we're, we're touring together. And I got to know Brad Whitford, the guitar player, uh, very well. But, but you know, your, your acquaintances on tour, and even though I'm hanging out and, you know, we're having you know, backstage conversations and talking about music and all the time. It's not like I was best friends with Brad, but acquaintances, sometimes people trade numbers and whatnot. But the, the fact that I, I must've made an impression on that tour with Brad somehow connected two years later when Derek St. Holmes and Brad were planning to go do some tour dates together and we're releasing a record together. This is in 2016. And just prior to that slash was had it, it had been announced that he was going to go back and do a whole Guns N' Roses reunion tour. So while he was getting that happening, I'm, you know, thinking, oh, I'm going to go, you know, what's my next move uh, for that summer? And it just turns out that one day I get this random call from Brad Whitford and Derek St. Holmes. I'm driving around Vegas, you know, do, going to get coffee at Starbucks. And uh, hey, Brent, it's uh, 
it's Brad Whitford and Derek St. Holmes. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm just telling Derek about you, uh, Brent, and uh, we want you to come out to Nashville. We're going to do some tour dates and we just, we, you know, like we want you to be our drummer. So <laughs> it's kind of like, I don't plan those things, but I get recommended because I guess, you know, I met on, but, but not to interrupt, but the key there, the lesson I take away from that is you're on tour with Aerosmith. Yeah. And you could have kept to yourself. You could have done your thing, you know, read your book and kept quiet. But you made it a point during that tour to do the key word, which is network. So that's yeah, the big difference. That's a difference always. where some where some people might just sit back and no, I don't want to bother these people, whatever. It's kind of like when The Rock says, when an opportunity comes up to you, you just bust down that door, you stick out your hand, and you shake yeah. that person's hand and fucking introduce yourself. Like, you be a man about it. I, mean, I don't mean that. You know, I'm just, whatever, I'm quoting The Rock saying this. But the whole point is you stepped up and introduced yourself and connected, yeah. not thinking yeah. I'm going to play with these guys, but you networked with them, and then yeah. several years, whatever, a few years down the road, an opportunity came up. I think there's a huge life lesson with that. Well, and, and just also my good friend, Troy Lucetta, drummer for the band Tesla, who I toured with a decade before that in the early 2000s together when I played with Vince Neil from Motley Crue and we toured together. Troy, who was actually playing with those guys prior to, had also recommended me. So there's actually a double recommendation there um, from networking. But I can tell you this. <laughs> When Derek, I know that Derek was not sold on me and that's fine. And what I love is he didn't know me. So the power of the referral is like Brad saying, hey, this guy's great. And Troy Lucetta is saying, this guy's great. You got to use him. But Derek's like, well, I've worked with some great musicians. You got to prove me wrong. You got to prove me that this is the guy. So I came out to Nashville and I could tell Derek was giving me the hairy eyeball. Like, hmm, let's see what this kid's, who's this kid? (laughs) And I was, I loved it. And within a couple minutes, I could tell Derek was like, okay, this groove feels great. And, you know, it's all how you carry yourself and your gear and just your, you know, you got to know how to hang. But I remember a couple hours in when we were working on stuff, we were at SIR Studios in Nashville, and I really wanted to sing along in the band and do background vocals and stuff. And Derek said to me specific, he goes, hey, Brent, by the way, uh, I, I, I don't want you to sing. I don't need you to sing. I don't like drummers that sing. And I remember saying to Derek, okay, fine. And I let him have that powerful, like, no, I don't, I don't like that. I won't. And I, I just let it lie for a little bit because he doesn't know me and I don't really know him. But by second rehearsal, I started to sing because I felt it was going to enhance the band and the gig being a good backup singer. Cause I love to sing as well. And I'm a multi-instrumentalist. And by the time we got, you know, rehearsed and on tour, I was singing all night, but you know, respectfully, I wasn't trying to step over him. I just knew that he didn't want that. But I gave a little bit of you know, room to prove myself that, hey, maybe, maybe I will be able to play drums up to your level and sing as well. So, so I knew there was a little challenge there from Derek. But, but uh, You just threw out one of my favorite quotes, which is don't never underestimate the power of a referral. Uh, I think that's a very, it's a great quote where you can tell someone how great you are and they'll be like, get out of here, kid. But if somebody else, like if you have Brad Whitford to tell him how great you are. Yeah, that's that's beyond the you can't put you can't put a price on that. Yeah, well, I, I enjoy more than anything. And in in my friendship circle, I I have found and, and I enjoy the fact that like if I choose to be friends with people, it's because I've been on the planet long enough now that that person I've, I've done the 
you know, I've put them through the paces and I want to be friends with them because they're a good person. They're good at what they do. And, and let's just use the example, Joe, you and I've known each other a long time. I don't know, 15 years or so. We come from completely different. Um, you know, you're from East coast. I'm from Canada. We, you know, we've met and been good friends a long time, but the, you know, your circle and my circle, I love introducing you to my friends because you're from a different world. I'm from a different world. And I would hope that when you introduce me to some people in your work and you have, and I have for you, and isn't it fun and, and interesting? I when, love, I love connecting people. I absolutely yeah. love connecting people. Some of my best nights are in, in, you know, say New York city. I go out with Joe Fami and I'm introducing a whole bunch of people I've never met before. And we go to a place I've never been with some people. And I just thrive on that. And they're all like, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a musician. And nobody in the room's a musician. Everyone's in, you know, some other line of work. And I'm the, you know, the anomaly. But I love the challenge. And I love meeting different people. Because, again, I, being around all the same, you know, people, I, I find I get a better, you know, I learn. I love to learn. I love to learn, you know, about business and other people's experiences, not just about music, you know, because music is what I do. But people business is what I am. Yeah, you know, that brings me to two things that I've learned and I've been very blessed and lucky to be around you and a lot of musicians and stuff. There's two lessons I've learned if you want to chime in on either one of these is number one is I think with a lot of music stars, uh, actors, actresses, athletes, we tend to put them on pedestals. And I mean this with respect. When you get to know some of them, you realize like we're all human beings. We all have the same problems and get up in the morning with the same bullshit and you got to deal with kids and relationships and finances and health like my point is like i'm guilty of this where you tend to put people on pedestals and you realize a lot of them are just real human beings that have the same you know like you hear the cliche you know put the pants on one leg at a time like it's so true though that's one thing i've really learned is how real a lot of these people are and the second thing i've learned i've learned a lot of things but the second thing is the whole side gig business i totally underestimated. And what I mean by that is I didn't know that if you want to hire Elton John to play your son's birthday party or wedding, you can do that. I just thought they only played the tour dates on the back of the t-shirt because I'm an idiot and I don't think about these things, but getting hired to do private parties and birthday parties and private events is a, is a business. I like, I was totally enlightened to how big that business is. Yeah. I mean, as a musician, you're, you're, um, the, the diversity of like, for me getting hired, just as if I, if I'm just talking singular, getting hired to play on somebody else's record is, is a whole other, you know, uh, community of, of opportunity. And when you're in a band and you go on tour and you, you know, if you're putting out a record and you make new music, yeah, you can make money from the ticket sales of, uh, an actual tour and less and less now is the the sales of of music because it's getting harder and harder to monetize that but it still is a a necessary revenue stream but what's interesting is and i've lived in las vegas a long time now about 20 years is that you know under the radar is other companies hiring say you know and it could be like public speakers or it could be a band but yeah there's uh i was just talking to i went to a show last night i went to joe jackson uh, you know, great English artist. Uh, and, and one of my friends who's uh, in the industry is on, on the, um, 
the AEG side of, of the music industry is like Live Nation. You know, those companies are promoters and they, they bring all the, uh, the concerts and they and uh, and he was telling me, he goes, it's, it's so interesting. Like, you know, the Rolling Stones could have been here last week or, you know, Garth Brooks could have played Allegiant Stadium and we didn't know it, even though he did play Allegiant Stadium or the Stones played there recently for for you know on tour but there could also be a private event that went on there or a casino you know paid sticks to come in or or uh you know again or comedians and famous actors that come in and do these these speaking events it's it's really interesting but there's there's a whole other lucrative you know side of that too but you know basically an opportunity to do what you do it it should be you know it it doesn't always have to be and like uh, you know what the last show i saw before covid i went to a remax convention with one of my best friends who's top remax agent comes down from canada one of my best friends um and lee of course because we're all friends you know him very well too lee lee ren Um, and he took me to his convention where journey was playing to ten thousand remax agents all from around north america and they all amazing it's amazing, and all these uh, I just, and they pay him well, and I just didn't oh, yeah. know like that. Not I didn't know. I just I just was oblivious to how big that business is. Oh my gosh! And and I guess some of those bands probably look to have some of those corporate events be, you know, like they rely on it <laughs> because they pay so well. Like you could pick a company like what, what were we talking? Sometimes Mercedes Benz or a, you know a, just a huge corporate oh, Remax, yeah. for example. The, yeah, it's a quick story. Dollars. It's a quick story, and I want to bring my friend Mike in right after the story. Is yeah. uh, I go to the Salt Conference, uh, which used to be every year in Vegas in yeah. May. It's a financial conference, and the Killers have played, and Maroon Five has played, and Duran Duran. They hire bands that play, and right after that conference, uh, one of the security people told me that, um, or no, sorry, before that conference, Mercedes Benz did a tour. Uh, yeah. Sorry, did a conference in the same event center and hired. Uh, Rolling Stones, and I said they must have paid a fortune. He said, "Yeah, they demanded four million, one million per you know band member." And I'm like, "Holy shit!" To play in front of like maybe a thousand or two thousand, you know, Mercedes Benz, whatever conference they were doing. And I was like, "I guess if you throw out a number and they're willing to pay it, that's that's a hell of a side gig. Uh, it's it's not it's more than a side gig." <laughs> so, it's pretty you know, impressive. If I got the opportunity to do that gig, you know what? The first thing I do, I go meet the president of the company. That's what I would do. <laughs> it's funny because yeah. I've been around the globe, you know, a thousand times now. My, my, I can probably say my passport has so many visas in it over the years when I show people. And I've had, you know, pages put in it. It's just, and I'm very thankful that that world travel is, is part of being a musician. But I always get a kick because guys like Slash and people have said, well, so you really like we, you know, Never been to Dubai a few years ago. We first time I played Dubai with Slash or somebody, and they were like, Well, Brent, come on, you really you don't really know anybody in Dubai. Yeah, actually, my friend will be here in five minutes to pick me up. We're gonna go around town. And I had absolutely a friend in Dubai who I'd known in in some you know, shape or form in the music business or or whatever it was, but I always have friends in in every city around the planet because that's the power of knowing people. And yeah, if I went to a corporate event. That's what I'm going to do is, yeah, I might be playing there, but I want to meet a bunch of new people. And, hey, I'd love to meet the president of the company and get to know them. And yeah. it, it's always interesting, too, that people who, like, I love music, but I also am fascinated by other people's story. You know, a, a head of a company, like, how did you get there? How did, how did that 
you know, work in your favor? And what were the dots that connected you? I'm, I'm just as fascinated by, it doesn't have to be music for me at all, but I, I, yeah. I'm fascinated by success stories. I love reading books on biographies on people. And, you know, uh, that's what I, I spend my time on is, 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 you know, getting to know people. Oh, learning those stories are amazing. Yeah. Uh, I want to introduce you to a good friend, Mike Webster, who, uh, besides the fact is one of the most genuine people I've met on Wall Street, is one of the most brilliant market minds out there. And another reason I love him is because he's a huge rock fan and po- posts a lot of great rock stuff. So, Mike, meet Brent. If you got a question, comment, anything, please go ahead. Hi, well, Mike. Uh, hey, man. How's it going? So Good. the what? first thing I wanted to say is, Brent, thanks for doing this. I love your stuff with Slash and, and um, your new band that you've got up in Canada. I just listened to some of that. It was it was really great. How do you pronounce that, the, the name of the band? Well, it's Took. And some people are hesitant when you look at it. You're thinking, well, is it Toke? No, it's Took yeah. because it's a French word. It's a reference to a, you know, in cold weather climate, and very Canadian classic form, you know, wearing a hat with the pom-pom on top. We just call it a toque. It's just instead of, oh, you're wearing a, a ski hat or beanie. No, it's a toque. <laughs> it's just a oh, Canadian. Cool. And Are you going to be playing you... down in Texas anytime? Oh, we're always trying to and, and working on different things. It's just been time to, to get things back to normal after COVID. But, yeah, we've been getting some offers. Funny, we, we get corporate offers, and a couple of them actually come in texas recently we are doing a few events that that gig the my band took has always been a labor of love it's a band that i put together with my best friends from my back my neighborhoods up in canada who all left and have the same story as me and my best friend todd who luckily plays alongside me in slash together he's from saskatchewan we didn't grow up together but we grew up in you know uh uh beside each other different states you know different provinces but we we weren't in bands until we moved uh to the u.s together anyway him and i play with slash and, and we play into together our guitar player is Corey Churko, who's shania twain's and and he's been her guitar player and musical director for oh gosh about 25 years he's from uh saskatchewan as well and and he's been with Kel- kelly clarkson since day one too right correct yeah uh, and our drummer Shane has been around the planet and kind of uh, has played with all the guitar virtuosos. But he lived in Japan for about 20 years and played with their biggest uh, rock export called the Bs, B apostrophe Z. And uh, anyway, we just selfishly put this band together for fun because we all have big gigs, if you want to call them big gigs. In other words, playing with notable, you know, world class, world noted musicians. And we're just all guys from. Our, our our home neighborhoods who all you know live in the states and we said we should go celebrate all this music that we we grew up on that kind of made us rush and brian adams and and all these bands and uh so when we get to do these gigs we get because it's a a band that has the the we basically do all popular hit music that everyone has you know grown up on in canada specific but it seems now that we you know they call us for to play the halftime of the Grey Cup, the Canadian Super Bowl. We play hockey events. We um, we do do like big, uh, you know, theater gigs as well. I don't think we've not played a sold out show, but now we're getting these calls into the states as well. They're trying to figure out, oh, what do you guys play? Well, we we play a lot of Canadian stuff, but we play you know music for the masses. But I, I never thought that that band was going to be anything, and it's just actually, guys, it's turned into a monetized celebratory thing that we get a lot of calls for corporate events and 
and and it's just great that I I put it together for fun with my buddies, and we get you know offers all the time. Of course, now I've put it into a, an important business plan where I have an agent and we have a manager. All the things that I learned as a kid. Oh, I don't even know what those people are. Well, in my old age now, I realize you have to have this all these you know these things in place to make it very you know professional. So it's a very serious band that we take very seriously and we get to do more and more things. So starting July, I'm going to be a busy guy in Tuke going and doing a whole bunch of big festivals and we have some corporate events. And it's funny because corporate events always under the radar, like we talked about in Vegas, how they like our corporate events don't get announced. We just get hired by a, a big company and they fly us in and we might play for a hundred thousand, 5,000 people, but it's, it's basically that company hires you and, um, and we do the show and it's not necessarily the thing we put on our social media. Hey, we're playing, you know, blah, blah, blah events. So, but um, yeah, I've really enjoyed being able to, to um, create uh, another, uh, another band just out of labor of love. Well, that's really cool, man. Um, I did have a different question for you. But before we get into that, um, Joe, what is your favorite B-side of Zeppelin? Because I know Brent knows it. Oh, I, I, I can't think off the top of my head. Uh, Brian, can, Brian can chime in. Hey, hey. Oh, hey, 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 what can hey, I do? what can I do? I, I didn't <laughs> yeah. even know it was a B-side. I yeah, should that know. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah, a good immigrant song. Anyways, you were talking about that earlier. But hey, I was wanted, wanted to know, you know, kind of your horror story on the road. It could have been when you were 18 or it could have been with Slash or anybody else. And then also, you know, the, the night that you will never forget, you know, that, you know, everything went great. It could have been five people in the audience or it could have been, you know, 20,000. And so I just wanted to, you know, hear both of those stories, if you don't mind. Oh, I always like to not remember the horror stories, but they're there. But I put them deep, <laughs> deep in the back. Um, you know, I think... Uh... Well, while you're thinking of horror story, I can tell a really quick story. They were in Russia... And the bass player playing with Slash in the middle of Russia had a detached retina. So Brent, like, what, two hours before the thing, he played the entire gig on bass, and Brent's drum tech played the drums. I don't know if that's a horror story, but it just goes to show, while you're thinking of your stories, well, I think it's no, a cool story, that if that's if I'm, unless I'm not telling it right. But. No, I, I think if we want to mention it, in a, it, what it is is it's a horror story that turned into a good, positive outcome because... I, when it comes to those horror stories, have prided myself on being the guy that goes, all right, we rally the troops and this is terrible. You know, like starts out back in the early days. Oh, you got the flat tire. You got the gig that gets canceled. Um, you know, like it's just, just a new, a bunch of negative things that happen. And then you just get through it. You figure out the, all the survival things. But so this scenario that Joe has mentioned actually involves being in Russia. My first time in Russia, in Moscow, and this is back in 2010, and playing there um, with Slash, before we got to play there, uh, one of our members, which was Todd Kearns at the time, was just having some, some health stuff going on with his eye. Well, just to fast forward to how it all went bad was when you're in a foreign country and you have a health issue, that's never good. That's never 
what you want. So health is wealth, guys. And especially when you're lucky to travel the world, but you don't want to get, you know, messed up in a foreign country and get stuck, you know, whatever. But it happens, you know, it happens. Life happens. So, yeah, that went into a real quick, okay, what do we do? Because Todd had to go home to get um, surgery on his eye. Sir, home meaning go back to Vegas where he lives and the show's going to happen day of show in Moscow, Russia sold out show. Well, what do you do? Who figures this out? Who, who saves the day? Well, I'm not saying that I, I decided I'm going to save the day. I just knew like, what, what do we fix immediately? Which is, well, I am the guy in the multi-instrumentalist that has to all of a sudden go, okay, well, uh, if, if we're down a guy on that instrument, then I'm going to switch over to that instrument. I'm going to play bass. Luckily the drum tech, we all have techs that work for us in the band that, you know, not only help set up our gear and tour with us and are, are sometimes more important than the band guys, they are usually good musicians too and can play as well. So my drum tech was unbelievable that he was able to, um, to play the gig uh, that night. And I switched to an instrument I had never played in the band before in fact slash didn't even know i played that instrument up yeah, until didn't, he that look, point. didn't he look at you and he's like how the hell are you playing this whole thing well i i love that i just said to him i go you know what slash okay you're going to do some interviews and you know i'll see you at sound check at four he called me in the morning because we knew our tour manager there's a whole bunch of people always involved in in touring and everyone gets rallies around and goes okay we have a you know a health issue we're going to send todd home we've got to plan this like what's the first thing the average person goes well i guess that show's canceled well no, I said, uh, Slash, we'll have you go do your interviews and I'll see you at soundcheck. And Slash goes, well, who's playing bass? I said, well, I'm playing bass. And he goes, but I, I don't know you play bass. And I said, well, you're going to find out at soundcheck. Now, and I always, I've told this story a few times. The, the best thing about it is that Slash actually was okay with that. Because he could have said, we're just canceling. This is ridiculous. But he trusted in me and said, okay, well, okay, if, if you've got this, then we're going we're gonna to soundcheck and we're going we're gonna to play to the kids tonight and it's going to be great. And he was cool with it, but probably didn't know what he was fully signed up for. And I, it was on me. All that was Can on I me. Just and I just say that that says, I hate to interrupt, it's such a great story, but that just says so much about your character and really the reputation that you must have um, built up over the years that, you know, somebody like that would, would take that type of risk because, you know, shows cancel all the time. I mean, it's, you know, historic shows of, Guns and Roses, you know, were were canceled because of Axel. You know, we've heard those. Yeah. So uh, that says, you know, so much about you. That that's very impressive. So why are you hanging out with um, Fami? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> and helps you know what? Kidding, Joe. Helps I'm boost his confidence. Helps boost his confidence when he's slumming it with me. <laughs> he is a survivor. I, I've I've got to say that Joe has those you know multi layered skills. And I, I love that in people that just have, okay, let's make this happen. Let's make this work instead of a negative. I mean, we can all be negative. It's so easy to just kind of go, ah, fuck this. It's, you know, it ain't going to happen. But I've learned from all these experiences, just like there's going to be lots of negatives. So I, I know I could tell you 10 negative stories, but it almost doesn't matter. It's better to tell, well, there's a negative story that I turned into a positive Oh, and, and by I mean, the way, I didn't mean to like answer Mike's question for you. I just figured while you were thinking of it, I thought of that as a really cool story. But if if you have other like please, 
great nights. Or I think that was Mike's question. What great nights or yeah, maybe just, I would love to hear like the, the best night that you ever had. And it could have been with your, your high school band, or it could have been with anybody, but just that, that night that, you know, 20, 30 years from now, you're going to remember of, you know, you, you just, um, you were on and the whole band was on or, or whatever it was, maybe you met your wife or, or whatever great story you've got there, if you don't mind. Well, yeah, I mean, it's always about family or some experience. Like I, I've never, my parents are the, the biggest fans, the biggest supporters, but again, not in the music industry and never have, you know, the answers for me other than just strong support. And some of these times when you get to do these really special, cool things, I, I really, I, my dad is 83. And when I hear and see in his, his reaction that he is telling people around him, you know, my son is on Jimmy Fallon tonight, or he's on Jimmy Kimmel, or he's on a TV show. There is nothing better than, I mean, I never think about it, but it's like, it's all about making, making my dad, when, when they took me to piano lessons, and they, my dad used to sit outside a, a drum lessons in a, in a snowmobile suit and, and turn, because he didn't want to waste gas, but he'd stay outside. I used to take private lessons at a house, at a drummer's house, a really great jazz drummer. But my dad would sit out front for an hour, you know, once a week and, and, and sit out there at like, you know, after his long day of work, just so I could have drum lessons. And I always thought, you know, he's done so much and supported me. And when I can, you know, do something that for me it becomes it's always going to be special we, we played on so many of these these tv shows now you know all the, the late night shows and i was just on howard stern recently that's, that's those are all amazing bucket list things but to see my father just beam that i probably proved him wrong because i think he probably thought i was going to be a dentist or something and i don't think he really liked the idea of me you know trying trying to be a professional musician but it it is really special to, to see the smile on my my parents faces even recently i'm just thankful my parents are still here um and, and get that you know that feedback from them but i can tell you also the first time i played on jay leno my mom who's my biggest critic as well and is it is very you know, musical but she i remember we played this was back in 2005 my first time on jay leno playing with a band and after the show, I'm like, hey, guys, my mom was like, you know, the, it, was, it was good, but the harmonies were off. The harmonies were a little off on the show. And I thought, you know, I love it, mom. Instead of telling me how great I was, she also was very critical. And <laughs> my parents have spent a lot of time supporting, but they also don't blow smoke up my ass. They never told me I was the best. They always were like, well, you could probably, you know, you're going to do okay. But they were supportive in that way, like without delusion and false sense of, you know, my mom was not the momager. My parents were like, well, you got to prove yourself. You're going to move to LA. You got to prove yourself. So a lot of those good experiences, just doing cool things, but yet, you know, have your parents kind of go, well, that was cool, but yeah, you could be better. <laughs> anyway. Oh, great. Thanks for that answer. I appreciate it. And Joe, thanks for letting me talk. I appreciate it. And I was just, messing around before you're the best no no i and I, I, uh what we have to do is all go together i think my one of my life goals a bucket list is all of us to go to an acdc concert together oh love it oh acdc that's horrible i mean angus <laughs> we got to get canny brent's met tom so we got to get canny and we all got to go brian's got to come with us too we all got to go to an acdc concert because it's not the same unless you go with brent so 
Uh, yeah, but that. all our favorite all right. iconic, these stadium-sized bands, these gigs aren't going to happen for much more. You think about it. All the architects of classic rock and all these great... Paul McCartney, I mean, be thankful he's still out doing stadium-sized shows, but for how much longer do the Stones, Paul McCartney, even Guns N' Roses and Aerosmith and Bon Jovi, and, you know, there's only a few... And, and ACDC. There's only a few stadium-sized bands left. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, you know, just, you know, sorry to just add one more question, but... No, um, please, go thought, ahead, please. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts on the whole thing with, um, you know, the sad passing of, of Dusty Hill? And, and I think his... Because um, you were talking about the, the drum techs and the guitar techs and everything, and I believe his the guitar and bass tech for ZZ stepped up and, and is filling in for um, yeah. Dusty. Not that anyone can be Dusty, but yeah. you know, he's doing his, his thing. What's your, what's so your you're mentioning Dusty Hill bass player from ZZ top. Um, I just thankfully got to see that not long ago uh, here in Vegas with, and I've seen, and I love ZZ top. I've seen them many times with the original three guys and yes, Dusty Hill, when he did pass, um, that's an interesting take on is the music larger than the band itself sometimes? Is Does the music need to live on? And with Billy Gibbons and Frank Beard, Billy Gibbons on guitar and Frank Beard on drums, having someone in their family who is the tech, um, you know, become a member of the band. Well, he's been part of the family a long time. He knows the music. And in some ways, I think it's going to be okay for some band, maybe not for all bands, but I think having ZZ Top continue, I think we want to see that band still. And it's, it's just, you know, some of these bands like Foreigner doesn't have a lot of original members touring with them. Um, my own experience is with the Guess Who who is a band from the 60s and 70s. Like when I, I'm from Winnipeg, where that band is actually from as well. Um, and I'm, I'm very, um, you know, that band means a lot to me being a hometown kid. But the, um, the band that, that continues and tours celebrates the music. And the original members of the band, there's Gary, the drummer, who is one of my best friends and heroes. But when you, when you continue on with the music and some of these original guys aren't there, um, you know, what's to say that the music shouldn't be celebrated in some way. So I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here and say, I'm actually, I went to see ZZ top and I loved it. I missed dusty Hill. Um, here's a, here's a topic of, of what if is the Foo fighters have just lost the mighty Taylor Hawkins drummer on drums. What happens to the Foo fighters? I mean, talking right now, no one knows, but, is is that band is that something that you're you would be up for if they asked you like because that's a you know there's going to be so much controversy there no matter who fills in for him um you know how if they ask you which is very possible um you know of course you're going to say yes but uh what would that be like well you're already answering the question i mean you just don't know and i've said in the last little while here how phone calls you never know when you're going to get a phone call so it really comes down to you know when bands replace other guys or get you know the the idea of putting somebody into the into the spin into a new into the family per se it usually comes internal 
it, you know, I can tell you guys that I don't remember ever going to a cattle call audition for a band, you know, in LA, which, you know, they make movies of these things, you know, you see a bunch of people uh, standing there in line auditioning and you think that that's how it is. It's really not. A lot of times it's, it's, it's a referral and who, you know, so what can I tell you about the Foo Fighters is I love the band and I love the music and it's, it's really a terrible thing to think. And I've had people, you know, friends of mine in music that have passed on and, and um, I don't, I don't really know the answer other than if, if it's meant to be, then does the music celebrate and does, and it's Dave Grohl, who's sort of like the, the, you know, the, everything's built around, does he want to continue and celebrate as a Foo Fighter band member? And, you know, I, I would hope, I mean, he's one of the most, prolific and loved guys in the music business it would not make sense for him to not continue to make music with with other great musicians and all the guys in the Foo Fighters are that's an awesome band it's stadium sized so it could I mean you know it could easily be you know figured out but you know most important is that Taylor's not here I, I I was not close with Taylor but I was friendly with him and knew him as fellow drummers and we hung out you know in different places in LA and stuff and and uh and I'm a fan of, I always thought he was cool and, and very inspiring, very inspiring guy. So it's very hard to replace somebody that was so loved and, a, you know, a great musician and loved, but, um, but you, but, but you know, Brent, fun- I think, I think, I think you hit it on the head though, earlier when you said that, you know, the, the replacing, uh, Dusty Hilder doing it within the family, from what I understand, from what I've yeah. seen, yeah. the, um, the, the tribute concerts, uh, to Taylor Hawkins are, uh, it's the band and the Hawkins family is supporting this. So, and obviously yeah. they'll probably have, you know, I imagine they'll have some rotating guest drummers, but it's almost, you know, it's, it's the way that the, because look, there is a relationship between the band and their fans and the yeah. music. And I think if they do it in a, in a way where they're trying to honor the person, they're not just, Hey, let's just keep making money and go on. I think that's a totally different way of approaching it. And I think it's yeah. probably a lot more palatable to the, to, to the fans. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, we're talking about ACDC as well. So, you know, when Malcolm Young passed, who de- definitely was the heartbeat of the band alongside his brother Angus, who is still obviously the, the leader of the band, but ACDC has and has been, you know, in several years now putting out even new music and has continued to tour with, and there is a family member in the band, remember. So Steve Young is a family member that's in place of malcolm so unless you hire and and do you know some sort of hey refer another guitar player in the band it's usually going to come pretty close to home and those you know those recommendations so you know it's a very tight business as well and and uh like i said it's always the referral and it's always you know someone knows you or or recommends you so um yeah it doesn't mean that it's funny because there's probably a thousand people that would like, oh, maybe the Foo Fighters will have auditions in L.A. or ACDC will have auditions for, you know, because I remember when um, just trying to think we uh, were. Well, I, I actually we did some shows with ACDC. If you want to talk about bucket list gigs while playing, playing like Paris Stadium, playing with ACDC with the Slash it was definitely high on my some of my most memorable gigs um but they uh on one of the last tours they were in a drummer situation where phil rudd the original drummer wasn't going to be in the band but 
there was, I remember hearing a bunch of drummers and, and friends of mine talk like ACDC is looking for a drummer. And, you know, all these people think, well, you're going to send in an audition tape and go audition, which kind of makes sense, I guess. But you know what? They hired Chris Slade, the drummer who was in the band before, because for me, that's familiarity, that's comfort and fans recognize another name from the band. There's a lot of variables, but it's never really just like almost never some random person auditions for a band and then gets gets into it. You know what I mean? It's usually a little more internal, a little more family oriented and a little a little more protective that way. Yep. And I, and I just want to circle back on something you mentioned earlier. Uh, the Guess Who, who yeah. growing up was one of my favorite bands, which is yeah. odd being a, a young kid in Southern California. But my dad had uh, the American Woman album. And Burton Cummings is, like we said with Derek you know, St. Holmes, like probably one of the most underrated uh, singers out there. He's just a fantastic singer. Agreed. I think Burton is one of the greatest rock singers for sure. And um, and those, well, you're, what was 1970 or 69 when American Woman came out? Those are yeah, like radio like staple songs. So yeah. that band, you know, Burton Cummings tours, Randy Bachman, the guitar player tours, those guys celebrate those songs and, and get to go, you know, play around the globe. And it's fantastic that they're still able to tour and whatnot. And then there's a version of The Guess Who with Gary Peterson. And it was Jim Cale, the bass player, that, you know, still tours as well. And the music gets celebrated. And I kind of look at it like, well, if everybody's not choosing to be in a band together, but wants to go and play the songs, you know, that they wrote and, and you know, it should be allowed, I guess, that people can go and, and see and celebrate celebrate those, those songs. I mean... Ugh. I mean, one day, think about it, guys, there's going to there's not going to be Beatles on the planet. It's a hard concept. It will, you know, at some point there will be no Rolling Stones and no Beatles members on planet Earth. And it'll be like, what <laughs> what happens to that music? We're already missing most of the Ramones. All right. I think we only have. Right. Uh, who do we have? Right. Uh, is it Marky is the only one that's left? Or uh, Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. So well, can I ask one, one final question? Joe? Please, please do. Go ahead. Yeah, so you've played with so many people and, you know, in these situations come up and let's just say, you know, no one passes away, but they just get sick or they have to go to a wedding or something. You want to and you have to um, you don't have to you get to fill in who's on your bucket list of, you know, who you'd want to, you know, is it the Stones or or um, who would you want to get to tour with um, if you have the chance? Well, it is interesting to go see the Stones or see a band that's of that caliber and put yourself into the idea of like, well, what if I got the call? What would, how would that go? I mean, it's not unfeasible. If, if I've been around enough environments that you just, you know, would think, well, again, it's who you know, and can you, would you be able to authentically be, uh, in that position like you almost have to think about morphing yourself and chameleoning yourself into certain bands but but i i i literally i mean that's part of going to see other artists and 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 being inspired is like i mean who wouldn't want to play with paul mccartney um and i i love abel boreal the drummer that is in paul mccartney but i also think to myself well what if i got that call like you know you i know the beatles catalog for the most part, very well. And, and I also sing and it would be like, well, what if that person actually had an injury or got sick and what would it be like to be, I I do think about those things. Absolutely. 
that's part of, you know, being a musician and wanting to play with different people. I would love to play with Don Henley from the Eagles. I actually got to play with Don Felder, the guitarist from the Eagles, um, at an event that I played with Gene Simmons. And I got to do a whole uh, couple shows backing Don Felder, playing all those great Eagles songs. And that was, again, thrown into an equation where I didn't know days before that I was going to be playing with Don Felder, but I had to immediately become an Eagle and learn those songs well. Like he's worked with Don Henley, one of the greatest drummers and greatest singers. And I'm, you know, now I'm going to play with this guy. And all those really, you know, spontaneous, better step it up moments really make you a better, you know, person music, music wise. And, and you got to, you know, get over the, the nerves of like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And you got to nail it and be confident and comfortable and yet be a fan and be, you know, like how would, how would, if, if I was going to watch this artist, how would I want it to look? How would you want, I mean, that's the way I look at when I play with Slash. It's not my, my gig to play just, oh, I, I'll do it my way. My, you know, if I'm playing a Guns N' Roses song that Slash wrote or whatever, um, I, I would want it to be like, how would people go and see, see me and want me to play and, and do justice to those, those songs. So I always find like the respect factor being a bit of a chameleon and, and uh, unless you wrote the song, you know what I'm saying? Like if you wrote the song, you can play it however you like, but respectful of, of other people. And, and, uh, and that's a big challenge in, in music. That's, that's an entertainer thing. Like think about actors and people that, that get to do different parts. I guess a musician, you know, diversifying your, 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 um, your Rolodex musically is, is important too. Cool. Well, let's, um, let's wrap it up. Maybe go around. If, uh, I appreciate everyone for listening in, obviously appreciate Brent for, for hanging out with us and generously sharing your time. If you want to go around, um, you know, I'll start with Mike. If I know you got a lot of questions, if you got one more fire away, or if you got any comments, you know, feel free to Mike. Look, I'm not going to ask any more questions. I got 15 here ready to go, but one last question. So what is CPI coming in at tomorrow morning? <laughs> Brent, never mind. It was a joke. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for answering my questions. I appreciate it. I have a no, question. Thanks. I have a question because here's what's great is, um, so I, I'm not in the same financial worlds that you guys are, but I thoroughly enjoy now, and I'm going to just fanboy on Joe, is I love that and Joe and I do this often. If, if Joe gets to, you know, speak on television or I get to be on a talk show, we both make sure we support each other and give each other a little bit of a text message before, hey, man, have a good, you know, t- a taping or whatever. And, you know, you're going to crush it, whatever. And it's fun that we like I I enjoy when and, and I might not even know about the markets and what your what the whole you know topics are. But I really get fired up when I see Joe and, and it's so you're so relaxed and you're so well versed and spoken about about it. And I, it helps. It makes me feel better, too. Like when I go and do my things, I'm like, Joe's, you know, Joe's crushing it. Although and we and we are critical of each other, too. We can. No, say, it's, hey, great. Man, you know. it's great constructive criticism because you've done yes. way more interviews and stuff. So you've actually given me some tips and, and I don't take it. You know, I'm never to get offended. You're like, hey, you could have done this better or hey, how about this? And these are just like little things that have helped me throughout interview stuff so i love it yeah i mean we both kind of feed off each other all the time so 
it's better than my friend Phil, who's like, yeah, I know the camera adds 10 pounds. How many cameras are on you, buddy? Like he turns into, uh, you know, Rodney Dangerfield, which I think is, <laughs> which I think is hilarious, by the way, because that's a great line. So it's all good stuff. Brian, what do you got for us? So I saved my my drum nerd question for the end because I didn't want to yep. bore the audience. So uh, so I, you know, for most of the time I've been playing the drums, I played a five piece, two rack toms, a floor tom. And I remember when I was younger, I read this article in Modern Drummer with Bobby Chownyard, who was the the drummer for Billy Squire for many years. And he's the first yep. guy I saw that had two uh, floor toms. And he he said, yeah, I use the second one as an ashtray. Right. And I noticed that <laughs> I, I, I've seen your I've seen your your drum workshop drums uh, online, which are they're beautiful. But you play one up, two down. So you got the one rack tom, you've got the two floor toms. I'm just curious, you know, have you always played that configuration? And and what is it about having the two uh, floor toms that you prefer, you know, opposed to rack toms? I, I think drums are like, you know, it's what car you drive. It's it says a lot about your personality and what your setup is. So. But a lot of times the definition of what you set up for is what gig are you doing? So for me, growing up in clubs in the early days, and I used to have a big drum kit. And then at the end of the night, the singer would walk away off the stage and go talk to girls. And Brent would have to tear down all his drums. And I went, well, that's not fun. I'm here till three in the morning tearing down my stuff. Then one day I said, well, look at Charlie Watts from the Stones. He's got one up and one down, you know, kick, snare, two toms. And then I thought, well, that that makes more sense. If I can, you know, play and get the job done with the four piece kit, the five piece, then you get to then, talk to more girls after the show. It's pretty obvious. Well, it just it, it became the mechanics of like setting up and, and just all that, again, learning about, well, am I still getting the job done and keeping it simple? So what happens is and then, you know, the Bonham, John Bonham setup of, of one up, two down was always, you know, romanticized by so many drummers like oh his, his setup was great but um and then working with slash it's actually probably a little more specific for like he's comfortable and he's kind of used to a lot of times you know that that classic setup as well because he loves zeppelin and aerosmith and so i i kind of respectfully do morph myself into different setups so when you mentioned bobby schwinnard who's an amazing drummer has passed on yes from billy squire by the way, useless trivia, which I'm always full of, is he's the drummer on the Alice Cooper record with the big hit Poison. That's his drumming. He's one of those guys that played on a lot of hits, a lot of simple, catchy songs. And because Bobby Schwinnard was one of those play for the song guys. He was a studio guy on the East Coast. And I'm a big fan of his, but he is not on the planet anymore. But one of my favorite, favorite drummers. But, and I appreciate yeah. you pronouncing him, his name correctly because you probably I, know the I, French, right? <laughs> It's French, yeah. Um, but yeah, that setup is, it's funny, we used it for an ashtray. So, you know, cosmetics and, and the way it looks, you know, sometimes you set more drums up because it looks, hey, when you're on a big stage, it matters too. Now, playing with Slash and playing these these arenas and stadiums and stuff, I actually moved up to a larger kick drum, a 28-inch, which is two inches bigger than John Bonham's kick wow. drum. And when I got into it, I thought, well, this is ridiculous, but it sure looks good because I saw... Abe Laboreal at Staples Center with Paul McCartney opening for Paul, or he was drumming with Paul, but his drum, he had this 28 inch kick drum, which was so big. And all his drums were like 15 inch Tom and 20 inch Floyd. They were huge. Now he's a big guy, but 
I called DW drums the next day after the show and it was so good and it was so musical and he just played the shit out of the drums, but these big drums, but it, it fits so well with the Beatles catalog. And think about Ringo Starr with that small, you know, some 20 inch bass drum with the Beatles stuff. I called those guys at DW. I go, I think I need to order a 28 inch kick drum. I just saw Abe Laborio, Boreal. It was so good and so musical. And they were like, yeah, that's a lot of air to push on that drum. And I said, well, just order it for me. I want it. So I was inspired by the McCartney show. And then I brought it out with Slash. And it looked good in these big arenas. You know, you got this big kick drum. It's sort of like a centerpiece thing. You put some logo artwork on it. It's like a, you know, like a show showpiece. So I, I was going around with like, okay, that's my look. Is the 28-inch kick drum with, you know, with the 13 and the 16, 18 toms. But, you know, it's just, you, you got to sort of have your, like guitar players. Look at Slash. He looks when you see the iconic look of a Les Paul guitar and him, that's, you know, that speaks to people. They're like, oh, the, the, the guitar is iconic with him. That look, Jimmy Page, Ace Fraley, and all these guys. So I, I kind of feel like, you know, how your, your setup looks is, is kind of becomes you and your personality. But it's, so, it's, so, it's so interesting that your, your drums are, your drums themselves are so deep, but then you said that you're, you play, I think you said you play Sabian cymbals, but you said your cymbals are actually they're not, they're not heavier cymbals, right? So you've got this this big, you know, you've got the big fat bottom sound, but then you've got a higher frequency. I mean, that's an interesting juxtaposition. Is that I, I yep. assume that's by design as well, right? Again, covering a lot of territory. I think like a studio drummer. I think like Jeff Picaro from Toto, but playing big arena sized music, yet having a very heavy hand to make it powerful, but yet have it very subtle, like Beatles music yeah. and, and, you know, like jazz music. I, I kind of like, like how, how do you be a chameleon in all, like, I love dynamics. I love bands yeah. that play, you know, versus quiet chorus is huge. And I don't play one volume and I don't play one, one style of music. And I don't, and, you know, my setup's got to cover a lot. I mean, on the last flash tour, I had a piano set up beside me. I was playing piano during the show. I was playing Rocket Man because we covered that song, Elton John song, on a, on a movie soundtrack. And uh, I just added a keyboard rig to my kit, which that's my look now. I'm like, maybe that's my new look is always a keyboard setup beside the drum kit. I need two more hands. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Jeff Picaro, another one who unfortunately is not here, but a fantastic, fantastic drummer. That intro to Rosanna is just it's it doesn't get any better. Than it's that. untouchable. Oh, yes. Nobody can play it like him. It's just so yeah. special. And if you watch, you know, if you if you go back and you watch his Starlicks uh, tape, he he talks about how it's a it's a combination between the Bo Diddley beat and yep. something that Bernard Purdy would do, which is the Purdy shuffle. And it's Purdy just uh, and it's, Fool it's, in the Rain. Zeppelin. Yeah, Fool. That's right, Fool in the Rain. And he, he took basically those three things, amalgamated them into something that it was just it's so amazing. You know, even to this day, I, I've never heard anyone really play that quite the way he has. Well, he stole it. And that's another great thing we could touch on right. quick, but we won't go deep in it, is stealing and how great music has usually borrowed from other things. I mean, the Beatles created a lot of great music, but everyone to this day is still trying to write the perfect songs and constantly taking from Beatles music and Zeppelin and all that. So Jeff Picaro admits, yeah, I took a little bit of a Bernard Purdy, you know, pattern and a, and a, and a, a John Bonham pattern and made it his own. And we all go, well, we love Rosanna, the song and the drum beat, but he borrowed it from a couple other drummers. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you indulging my uh, my my drum nerd questions. <laughs> well, the, you know, it's really fun. Really quick, when you bring up um, 
Brent is like an like an encyclopedia of like um, useless music trivia. Although some of it's not useless, it's great stuff. When you mentioned Toto, I didn't know uh, Human Nature was written by Toto, and then they wrote it for Michael Jackson. Is that the correct story? Yeah, keyboard player Steve Porcaro. There's three Porcaro brothers in Toto. At one time, there was all virtuoso musicians, all from you know California. It's all studio cats, like A-list studio guys, really, really young too. But Steve Porcaro had that song probably on a tape that was for you know who knows if it was a Toto song or whatnot. But it got played for um, Quincy Jones because they were guest musicians. Most of the Toto guys, if you don't know already, were the guest musicians that played on the Thriller record and many other great hit records, you know, that were being done in L.A. So Human Nature was just a song Steve Percaro had that, that um, you know, the producer heard. And they were like, oh, what's, what's that? So if you go online and YouTube, you should check it out anyway. It's, uh, just look up Human Nature, original version, maybe Percaro, Steve Percaro. And uh, it's almost verbatim. He sung it, he played it, and then, you know, of course, the special, the X factor is that Michael Jackson sang it, and it's incredible. But, um, yeah, the song was actually written by, by one of the guys in Toto. Yeah, there's, then, actually a, there's actually a couple of cross-pollinations between Toto and Michael Jackson. Most people know that Eddie Van Halen played the lead guitar and beat it, but yeah. Steve Lukather played the rhythm guitar on that song. So right. there's a lot of cross-pollination between Toto and... See, Joe, and why would some, Eddie Van Halen useless uh, rock and roll stuff? <laughs> <laughs> and why would why would Eddie even you know play on a, a Michael Jackson record? But you know, again, relationships and just referrals and friends. Well, Steve Lukather and him are buddies. Hey, Eddie, you want to come down and play on uh, this record today? Yeah, sure. You know, that's how just the, the the just the matter of fact of it. You know, uh, uh, well, and Slash played on uh, some Michael Jackson stuff as well. A lot of great players. I, I find it interesting that a lot of pop artists choose rock guys to give a certain tone to a, a song. So can you think of Beat It and what a great song it is anyway? Of course, just the melody and the rhythm and everything, but the specialness of it is that solo, that rock solo that Eddie put on there. So, And Slash has played on Michael Jackson stuff too and, and given it that, that X factor as well. I love the amalgamation of pop and then rock. And you know that's what's going on more than ever now. So much music is, is, is just a bashing of different styles together, country and reggae and pop and, and you know metal and, and uh, you know just Brent, throw it all a, into the into the Brent. There's a quick question from one of the audience members. What does Brent think of Gavin Harrison from Porcupine oh, Tree? Gavin Porcupine Harrison's Tree, fantastic. great drummer. Oh yeah, fantastic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's 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 front page modern drummer guy all the time. He's killer. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, that was a question that I wanted to ask from someone who's been patiently listening and waiting. So, readers uh, poll. He's always the top readers poll. You know. Yeah, he's one of those guys that uh, I've heard the name, but I haven't heard him play, so I don't. I couldn't comment. If you go online yeah. and you um you look you, you Google his name, and I believe it's called Slipping or maybe Sliding, and he's at a either a Nam show or something doing a performance. It's just absolutely fantastic. He's super musical. Yeah. Um, plays in odd times, but makes it all flow. Um, just a fantastic drummer. Yeah. Well, and cool. you mentioned Nam, so that's again, you go see those drummers and musicians at the Nam show. You can. And, you know, you go to the NAM to, to be, you know, if you, it's an industry only invite, but yet lots of people do go who aren't maybe necessarily, you know, professional musicians. But it's it's the who's who you go there and you'll just see 50 unbelievable, you know, drummers right there. All the, the front cover of Modern Drummer magazine, they're all walking the, the you know, they're all performing and, and talking about gear. And it's it's incredible to go to NAM. It, it just happened last week. It was very light because of COVID. They're just getting it back. But 
I've tried to go every year. It's a very inspirational, you know, like I just, I go there and connect with so many great musicians every time I'm, I'm there. I, have I invited you, Joe? Yeah, you went one time. I went several years ago. Yeah. And I mean, it was, pretty overwhelming, right? It was pretty cool. It was yeah. pretty cool. I was just hanging out in the drum section and there were like world-class drummers just doing clinics, just playing, like looking at all the new equipment. It was just like a kid in a candy store, but it's like a big warehouse convention with just all these A-list musicians walking around like you described. So it was, yep. it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Hey, Joe, super, I've super. got one final question. I was biting my tongue when the whole Toto thing came up. because Please, go that, ahead. That, that Steve and Eddie were, um, were good friends. So did you ever run across um, Eddie? Did you have any, um, any interaction with them or Alex or Sammy or Mikey? at any point um you're asking me yeah i did meet eddie through um yeah like i so one of my my best friends the ironically the drummer who got to play with slash and myself in moscow that drum tech who's a great drummer his name is jd john douglas and he worked for alex van halen still does for many many years and uh so you know as as we all hang out and friends uh in friend circles whenever I, uh, JD and I would cross paths and if he was touring with Van Halen, I would, you know, go and, and go to the show early and, and, uh, he, you know, I'd hang out a little bit with Alex Van Halen with him. And I met Eddie, you know, through that circle. I didn't get to play any music with him or anything like that, but definitely. And I, I've been, you know, when I lived in LA, you run into people, like you were saying, Mike, if, you know, if you live in LA, you, you, you bump into, oh, there's Eddie Van Halen at Casa Vega. You know, you see these people all the time just living their life because they're, you're in the valley and oh, there's all these famous people. We used to go to these jams that were pretty star studded too at the baked potato back in the day. That's the first place I saw Slash was at the baked potato. Eric Singer from Kiss and I would go there and, you know, be like a Tuesday night. It would be just a who's who of all these A-list musicians that would go and jam and you could just go and jam together or just hang out and watch killer musicians. But yeah, Lukather would be out there all the time, all the time. And cool. Uh, well, be like, you. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and um, Mike, I think I told you this Eddie Van Halen's favorite album or great. He says the greatest album of all time is Peter Gabriel's So album, so, which is, which is yeah, uh, I rec- wait, that blew me away when you told me that. That's um, that's yeah, like have to listen to that direct from Brent's buddy yep. who plays with Wolfie with Wolfgang, his son. Said yeah. uh, oh, Wolfie he also, is just he also loved amazing. Mountain. He loved Leslie West Mountain. But what's interesting, Mike, is I, I was saw at I, 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 Mississippi Queen on the way to work today. By are the you way. serious? Like, yeah, <laughs> I swear to God, uh, at eleven, man, I had to do that. You know. So, oh, yeah. The, the other great. thing, the other thing, Mike, is there was an interview with Adam Levine, and he separately, independently, said the two greatest songs uh, ever written. Um, one was uh, what was the Beach Boy song? God only knows. God was only it? knows. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And uh, and the Peter Gabriel song in your eyes, he said it's a, it's ironic. He independently said, I know he's not Eddie Van Halen, but he's obviously a respected musician. He said, in your eyes and God only knows where the two are the two greatest songs ever written, which is, you know, obviously it's subjective, but it's still powerful referral. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, hey, the Beatles even listened to Pet Sounds and went, oh, shit, look what Brian Wilson's doing. And then, you know, that was inspiration for them to come up with Sgt. Pepper's. So talk about, you know, Sergeant Pepper gets revered all the time, but you can't not mention that the, the Beach Boys album Pet Sounds was is one of the greatest 
bodies of work as well because it helped inspire the Beatles. You know, it was like those two bands were in, in friendly competition to see who could outdo and write better songs. I got and one last. Jimmy uh, comes and go ahead. I'm sorry, Brian. Go ahead. I was gonna say I got one last pointless uh, music trivia on that So album. I remember it, it came out in the '80s, and it was back when they were they were tending to overproduce a lot of stuff. And so there's yeah. four different drummers, I believe, on that album. I think it's uh, Jerry Morata, Manu yeah. Kache. Uh, I can't remember the other ones, but I do remember this that Stuart Copeland was on it, but only his hi-hats on one song. Like that's how uh, much they sliced it up back then. Um, <laughs> that's funny. That, I, but I love the, okay, so Stuart Copeland from the police, but his hi-hat work is probably like if uh, as amongst us drummers, you could honestly say it's the best. Like you, as soon as you, you know, think about, uh, you know, uh, message in a ball, any of those songs that just had really clever hi-hat work, he was the yeah. master. So yeah, yeah. Oh, just we just need his hi hats on that. Well, yeah. I mean that makes so, sense, right? If we're going to take one part of Stuart Copeland, it's going to be his hi hats. It's not. Gonna it's going to be his hi hats. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, hopefully, Brent. Uh, I mean, we could talk music all night, but I actually do have to run. But um, thanks for hanging out with us. Hopefully, we can do this again. Uh, maybe choose some different topics and talk some music, and uh, maybe even bring in some other people and stuff. So it'd be, I'd, I'd love to, if, if you don't mind doing it. Uh, in the future, I think it's been a it's been a great uh, conversation. So I appreciate it, you hanging out with us. Would it be Fami and Fitz or Fitz and Fami? <laughs> uh, you you can. I well, just Fami, like the way it rings. It rings. Fami and Fitz rolls off better, but that would mean my name would be first. But that's I don't I don't need I don't need. But any I like spotlight. it. I like I don't, Fami. I don't need. I don't need any spotlight. <laughs> I think we got a thing, Joe. We might have to do it. Cool, cool. But seriously, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for uh, you know talking music. I know we could go all night talking all this stuff. I appreciate everybody uh, listening in and the questions and so forth is great. Uh, if you want to close us out, Brent, if you got any uh, closing comments, go right ahead. I just no, I'm I'm good. I, I've it's been about an hour and a half. I haven't drank coffee, and I need to go drink some coffee. Let's do it. All right, perfect. <laughs> and Brian, thanks for uh, helping out. Mike, thanks for all the questions. We'll do it again soon. So. Look we'll, forward uh, to it. We'll get we'll get everyone together uh, soon. And thanks for everyone for listening. This is recorded, so if you want to go back and play it, it'll be uh, it'll be archived there. And uh, thanks again, Brent. We'll do it again soon. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, guys. All right. Take care, guys. Talk to you later. Um, I would like to repeat that want to be canceled from the Lund Loop. Whatever you've got me on. Um, if you wish to call and explain what it is, uh, actually, uh, forget that. Well, that's it for this episode. If you got any questions, hit me up at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at thelunloop.com. I'll see you next time. Bye.